me so happy for the rest of my life. Will you take me away? Will you make me away? Do you love me? sing along. I was, trying to, I was trying to run the gamut for those who want 1800s poetry and those who want meatloaf. You know, I mean, <laughs> there are only a few of us who really love both. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's obvious uh, what he wanted, um, but what was it that she wanted? <laughs> a ring. What else did she want? She was passionate and sweating, asking very clearly for what she wanted. What did she want? <laughs> what kind of an answer? Yeah, love forever. I want you to love me till the end of time, and I want you, I want you to tell me right now. Uh, it's what she didn't realize, she might not have been thinking about this actual word in Hebrew. Uh, there's a word in Hebrew um, called chesed, but what she really wanted was chesed. Uh, chesed is a, is a combination of not just love, but faithfulness. Um, love, yes, for sure, but faithfulness because she, want, she wanted to be loved till the end of time. And really, with all that passion and opera and rock, I mean, she was exposing a longing that we all have. We, all, we don't want to just have a quick pseudo flash in the pan kind of a love. We want somebody who will love me till the end of time. 
We're all asking in one way or another, can you give me love that will last, really last? This is a rare and precious commodity. And this word hesed, I wanted you to be, I realize a lot of people don't watch that and automatically think hesed, but, um, but I did. <laughs> I feel like God can speak to us through really anything. And this word is a common Hebrew word. Many people with greater minds than mine have tried to plumb the depths of this word. It's translated a lot of ways because there are so many nuances to this word. It can mean loyalty, kindness, mercy, covenant love, unfailing love, steadfast love, and most commonly, faithful love. David, who we've been studying in the Psalms, was captivated by the idea of hesed. In fact, he used the word hesed in scripture more than any other writer. Today, we're gonna follow the trail of hesed that runs throughout David's life. Speaking of trails, I know that some of you are avid hikers. Some of you name their dogs Summit. Uh, some of you do, do a lot of hiking. And I thought I would ask you, when you're hiking, what are some reasons that you should regularly look behind you? In case there's a bear. That's a very important answer, Wills. And it, See, what's that? Following the dog following. See if the dog's following you? Okay, see if the dog's... What else? To see how far you've come. That's a good one. To watch the weather. Um, more hikers. Um, any other reasons you might turn around and look behind you? Uh, thank you, Arn. Um, what did you say over here? Oh, Mark and Arn got kind of bingo here because uh, every, every journal that I read about hiking, it all, they all agreed on one thing. Every so often, look behind you, it will help familiarize with the route back to safety. If you don't look behind you, sometimes you're gonna get lost. All the answers are true, but um, it's, it's a wise thing. I was hiking last summer with a, a photographer and he said, oh, you have to turn all the angles. You have to look around because you're gonna miss some of the beauty back here if you only drive forward. So growing up as a shepherd, you might not have realized this or thought about it, but David was a hardcore hiker. He took long, arduous treks to find good grass for his sheep. And interestingly, at the close of his famous Psalm 23, he says, surely goodness and hesed, or mercy or love, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, will follow me. In his years of hiking, David had developed a habit of looking behind him during his journey. Are the sheep following me? Are they back there? They might follow him, they might not, but he was convinced that faithful love would follow him all the days of his life. This past week, I dog sat for Vince, for his adorable Australian shepherd named Wren, and I live alone, so I'm not really used to having someone follow me all the time. Everywhere, and I do mean everywhere. Uh, no matter where I went, that dog was right behind me. I just wonder how different it would be if 
we really believed that faithful love would follow us wherever we go. Right behind me, right there, right there. Don't you wonder why David believed that with so much confidence? Honestly, it wasn't because of his home life. David didn't start out with faithful love. In fact, we get a few glimpses into his, the way he was treated growing up. God told the prophet Samuel that he was to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. This was, this was a nobody family, so this was a huge honor. When Samuel came to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, mm, nope, 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 nope. The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Ah, well, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. It didn't even occur to them that David would be worth considering for this great honor. Talk about feeling invisible and unvalued in your own family. Shortly after this experience, Jesse, the, the father, sent David with supplies for his brothers who were part of Saul's army. This army was facing the threat from Goliath and the formidable Philistines. When David arrived and inquired what was going on, I mean, everybody was talking about it. Here's how he was treating, treated. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Maybe Eliab was jealous because of David's favor with the prophet, or maybe this kind of verbal abuse was just common for David in his house. The first time the scripture gives us an example of Hesed in David's life is in the extraordinary friendship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. After David killed the giant Goliath, he hauled the giant's head um, to King Saul, just brought that head right up to him, and they got into a conversation. Here's what happened. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. King, Di King Saul began with favor toward David. Great, you killed the giant. But eventually swung to vicious jealousy and sought to kill him. At the risk of his own life, Jonathan defended and protected David. When they met secretly to plan how David could escape Saul's wrath, Jonathan said to David, and may you treat me with the faithful love, the hesed of the Lord, as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So these two committed to a covenant of faithful love that David kept even after Jonathan was killed in battle. This hesed that Jonathan initiated with David indelibly marked his life. Because David received this faithful love, he then began to give this faithful love, not just to Jonathan, but to other people throughout his life. Michael Card wrote about the reciprocity of hesed. The one who was initially shown hesed 
naturally demonstrates hesed in return. This is a natural response. It's not a have to. I don't have to give hesed away. But when you receive hesed, you, you want to. You want to give it away. Because hesed, faithful love, begets hesed. One poignant example of David showing faithful love was following the death of King Saul and Jonathan. David became the new king, and he spoke with Ziba, a servant from the house of Saul, and he said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness, the hesed of God to him? Ziba said to the king, Well, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. When David sent for him, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not, be, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land your, your, of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. However, as king, you can imagine, David had people flattering him and fawning over him all the time. He didn't know who he could believe and who was just sucking up to him for power or a favor. Hard to tell who really had faithful love toward him. Sometimes the best way to tell who's really faithful is who sticks around, not at your high points, but at your lowest points. During David's reign, his sons Absalom conspired against him, stole the people's hearts, was crowned king in Hebron, and then enacted a ruthless takeover. Upon hearing of this coup and Absalom's imminent arrival in Jerusalem, David and those closest to him had to hurriedly and ignominiously leave, flee. David had to leave behind his position, his honor, his palace with just a few concubines to care for it. He left the Ark of the Covenant all gone in one fell swoop. During this heartbreaking upheaval, some people surprised David by their faithfulness to him. And other people surprised him by their unfaithfulness to him. One unsung hero that you probably didn't learn in Sunday school class is a guy named Etai. <clears throat> Here's what happened in his story. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late. David urged his men, hurry. If we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. So the king and all his household set out at once. There were 600 men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Etai, a leader of the men from Gath, why are you coming with us? Go back to King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we'll go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. 
But Etai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or it means death. I bet this was a balm to David's heart that Etai, a foreigner, showed him loyal love at one of the worst times of his life. David even gave him an out, but Etai decided to stand by David. But David's advisor, Ahithophel, was a different story. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and then went out toward the wilderness. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. When someone told David that his advisor Ahithophel was now backing Absalom, David prayed, Oh Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. David was learning who his true friends were. What a blow to hear that his advisor turned on him. When Absalom arrived at the king's palace in Jerusalem, Ahithophel gave him the most traitorous possible advice. He said, go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all of Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support to you. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it, and Abraham, er, Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. Talk about a harsh betrayal. But then, David, we meet another character on David's flight. This guy's name was Hushai. When David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshiped God, Hushai, the archite, was waiting there for him. Hushai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. But David told him, if you go with me, you will only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. So Hushai, Hushai, as well as the priests Zadok and Abiathar, agreed to be double agents for David back in Jerusalem, pretending to serve Absalom. At the risk of their lives, they gathered information and secretly sent it back to David. All kinds of political intrigue. Hard to keep track of who is for David, who's against him. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Next on the road, next on the trail, we encounter Ziba who you might, might remember. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, was waiting there for him. He had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a wineskin full of wine. What are these for? The king asked Ziba. Ziba replied, the donkeys are for the king's people to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat. The wine is for those who become exhausted in the wilderness. And where is Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson? The king asked him. He stayed in Jerusalem, Ziba replied. 
He said, today I will get back the kingdom of my grandfather Saul. In that case, the king told Ziba, I give you everything Mephibosheth owns. I bow before you, Ziba replied. May I always be pleasing to you, my lord the king. Now, Ziba seems to be on David's side, while Mephibosheth seems to be betraying him. Here's where things get confusing. As David went through this harrowing journey, there's a long list of other heroes and traitors in David's wake. Too many to share today. Eventually, Absalom dies, and David is reinstated as king. When David returns to Jerusalem, he has another encounter with Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day king had left Jerusalem. Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. Mephibosheth replied, My lord, the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I'm crippled. Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. So which is it? Was Ziba lying? Was Mephibosheth lying? Even David didn't even know. So he actually took the lands that he had originally given to Mephibosheth, then he gave them to Ziba, and he split them between the two. He didn't know who was showing true Hesed. He didn't know who was the traitor who was lying. And the Bible never tells us. With all the people along the journey, I'm sure David must have been in consternation and anguish trying to figure out who's following me, who's not following me. You never know, crazy sheep. For different reasons, people may not be able to show love till the end of time. Even his dearest friend Jonathan didn't betray him, but he died. God, but God had taught David, look behind you. Don't worry about whether these people follow you or not. I am following you. I'm the hound of heaven, and I will pursue you. I'm the shepherd, and I will always come after you. I'm the goodness and love that will follow you all the days of your life. Turn around, David. Turn around and see that I'm right behind you. Over the years, David turned around again and again to see the unfailing love of God. He meditated on it, he wrote about it, he sang about it. You wouldn't believe how many times David used the word hesed to extol the Lord in his psalms. Here are just some of them. These are David, all the times you see it will be the word hesed. Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. Display the wonders of your faithful love. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty, hesed, to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. For the king relies on the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me. All the Lord's ways show faithful love, for the faithful love, your faithful love, guides me. 
I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love. Save me by your faithful love, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me. The one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the, to the clouds. How priceless your faithful love is, God. I trust in God's faithful love forever and ever. My faithful God will come to meet me. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. Save me according to your faithful love. Faithful love at every turn. As we turn around, we see the cross. David didn't even know about the cross. Imagine what he would have written if he had known about that. But when we turn around and we see the cross, there is the embodiment. Jesus became the embodiment of God's faithful love. So, as you think about that, as you think about that faithful love that's following you all the days of your life, um, rejoice in it, meditate on it, sing about it, drink it in, chew it up, and absorb God's faithful love for you. You'll take a piece of the bread, if you'd like, and tear it off and dip it into one of the cups. The dark cups are wine and the light cups are juice. And it's all hesed, and it's all for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we remember what Jesus did, we pause and quiet our hearts. And we thank you uh, for, for what it cost you, for your body to be broken, for your blood to be shed. And Lord, as we take this bread and uh, wine, we pray that it wouldn't just be a, a symbol, a metaphor, but that it would be real power, that it would be more of you and less of us, that we would take that in and be filled up with the faithful love of God. In Christ's name, amen. My girlfriend Laura was in town from Chicago this week and uh, she and another girlfriend uh, wanted to go to see a concert at Red Rocks. They had never been there. We went to see Death Cab for Cutie and while we're waiting for the, um, the group to start, uh, we're sitting up there and Laura said to me, well, what are you talking about this weekend? And uh, Laura doesn't really know what she thinks about God. She keeps her distance a little bit. And I said, well, Laura, uh, I said, really, I'm talking about how God loves you and he never stops pursuing you. And, and she sort of sh shrugged a little and I said, well, and I pointed out a few things from her trail behind her. And I said, remember when this happened and this happened and this worked out and you didn't think it would and this terrible thing happened and then it turned around and then, and this re relationship was messed up and then 
something happened to, do you remember all those things? I said, that's God's love pursuing you. I said, Laura, he's coming for you. You, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> so I went through the life of David and marked things in his path. Here was Hesed, here was Hesed, here was Hesed in his life. But when I send you out today, I encourage you to turn around, bright eyes. Oh, oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> um, I encourage you this week to turn around, and every now and then you might uh, find <laughs> that there's Hesed and Hesed and Hesed. Think about it, meditate on it, focus on it, write about it, sing about it. Look at the traces on the trail of Hesed in, in your life and just remember with confidence that surely, surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. Amen. Amen.